63. Now, this chart starts out real difficult. Now, you have to remember the background to this. The background to this is the nation of Israel and Judah here. God is saying, I'm going to judge you. Now, we're getting to the end of the book of Isaiah. So we've said from the beginning here that God was going to send the Babylonians. God was going to send the Assyrians. And the nation of Israel and Judah was going to be judged because of their sin. But he also says, you know what? Right now is a real dark time in your nation's history. But you know what? There's a savior that's coming later on, and that savior will make everything right. You're losing your kingdom now to the Assyrians and the Babylonians, but you will regain your kingdom when your Messiah comes. And that's what all of next week is about, is regaining the kingdom through the ruling and reigning of Messiah the king. So that's how it ends up on a real good, upbeat note. But we have to remind ourselves of the sin that's coming. So what you see here in Isaiah 63 is this sin problem. Who is this who comes from Edom, who dyed garments from Bazaar? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. Obviously, this is a picture of God. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me in my own fury. It sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my angry, made them drunk in my fury and brought them down their strength to the earth. Those are some tough passages. There's no way to get around that. That is God's heart and attitude towards sin. He hates sin. Sin must be judged. It has to be judged. And what he is saying here, this is kind of a dual prophecy is what the Bible calls it. Israel was going to be judged 1,500 years ago. They were going to be judged for their sin. That's why the Assyrians and the Babylonians were coming. But it's also a dual fulfillment because Jesus is also saying, I'm going to take care of the whole sin issue. I'm going to take care of all the sins of the world and judgment. And if you look at these verses here of trotting the winepress of his anger, these verses are also requoted in the book of Revelation. Because he says that's what's happening in the second coming is I'm coming back to judge sin. The first time I came as a little baby in the manger, I came for your sins as savior. The second time I come, I came as the king to reclaim my world and I come in judgment. Well, he's going to judge. Now, part of God's heart is he is fair and just. And we've said this a lot of times out here. We love justice. We love fairness as long as we're not the one being judged. When we watch the news and we see that horrible person who did that horrible crime, we want that horrible person, that horrible crime, judged. Well, that's what we want. We don't want mercy. We want judgment. But yet, when it's you or I or one of our loved ones standing in front of the judge, what are we begging for? Mercy. So when we want God to be a fair and just God, well, part of being fair and just is you're fair and just to everybody. So when we say, Lord, judge the sinner, God says, well, you're a sinner. No, no, Lord, judge their sin. Don't judge my sin. Well, as the judge, he's going to judge all sin. And you see, this is a theme repeated through the book of Revelation. When you look up this word just, that God is just, it means he's fair. It means he's righteous. And all these verses talk about it. You don't have to turn there, but just if you're taking notes, you can just listen along. Revelation 19:2, for true and righteous are his judgments. 
True and righteous are his judgments. Staying in the book of Revelation, it says, For true and righteous are his judgments, Revelation 19.2, Revelation 16, verses 5 through 7. You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. They have shed the blood of the saints and prophets who have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Now, we sit here and we say, Amen. We love it when the sinners get judged. But the problem is you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, too. See, and where there's judgment, there's also mercy. And if you stay in Isaiah, God has expressed his judgment, but now he shows his mercy. Verse seven. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness towards the house of Israel, which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Now. Why does God do that? Do you ever stop and think about it? I mean, we, we've all sinned. The nation of Israel sinned. Why, why does he do this? Why does he show mercy and loving kindness? Look at verse 8. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So I love the end of verse 8. So he became their savior. See, that's the only way the sin problem is going to be taken care of is when Jesus becomes their savior. See, blood has to be shed. Okay, you guys remember in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned, right? So Adam and Eve sinned, and you remember Adam and Eve, they found out they were naked, they were ashamed of their nakedness, so they got really big leaves and they covered themselves up in strategic locations. Okay, that didn't work. So what happened? After God came down and found out about their sin, there's that little verse in the book of Genesis 3 that we really don't pay attention to much. It says that God made them garments of skin. You remember that? Now, how can he make them garments of skin? He went and killed an animal. The first death that ever happened in the world had happened because human beings sinned. That's the first death. There was no death before the fall of man. There was no death before sin came. As soon as sin came, the world was this nice, happy, joyful place. Little bunnies are playing with lions and bears are playing with raccoons. It was like a Walt Disney movie. It was great. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve sinned, and I don't know which animals paid the price, but they got killed. Nothing ever happened like that before. Talk about shock to the world. All of a sudden, little bunnies didn't want to play with lions anymore because death brought sin. And so therefore, as that sin came, sin had to deal with and had to be dealt with blood. Hebrews 9.22 says there has to be the shedding of blood for remission of sins. Has to be. Well, obviously, we know what takes care of our sins is Jesus. That's why in verse 8 it says, so he became their savior. See, when you and I sin, animals don't die. Jesus died. He took care of it. That's why he said it's finished. But I'm telling you right now, here's the problem with sin. You and I don't hate sin like we should. We don't. If animals had to die every time we sinned, we'd think totally different about stuff. If every time you snapped at your spouse, you had to go kill some poor little lamb, it'd really make you think twice about it, I would hope. But we don't think about that. See, as Christians, we sin, but we don't use words like sin, do we? I struggle with that. I'm weak in that area. I stumble. Really, what we're saying is I sin. And we don't really hate sin. How many times have you heard yourself say this? How many times have I heard myself say this? Okay, I know it's wrong, but wait a second. If I know it's wrong and I know it's sin, why am I still doing it? See, that's one of the things I realize when I talk to somebody and the person claims to be a Christian. But yet their lifestyle isn't backing up what the Bible says. And they come to me and they say, I know what I'm doing is wrong. And what they're really saying is, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I really don't care. I don't sit there and question their salvation that's between them and God. But I sit there and say, wait a second. As a born-again believer, 
and you literally know what you're doing is wrong and you openly, willfully do it, that's kind of a scary place to be. Because there is a righteous God who will judge sin. And the book of First Peter says judgment should begin at the house of God. So often as Christians, I am really good at picking out your sin. I'm really good at that. I'm really good at watching the news and picking out people's sin. But yet when I look in the spiritual mirror and I see my own sin, I'm really good at making excuses. And what it comes down to is God is saying here in verses 1 through 6 of Isaiah 63, I am fair, I am just, sin will be judged. Then he comes out and says, you know what, verses 7 through 8, I'm also merciful. I have a Savior that I'll give you. Now the question comes up, does Israel want their Savior or not? That's what they have to decide. Now we'll take a quick break here because I've got a couple points before we move on. Does anybody got any quick questions, comments here? Yeah, John. You're wrong. Next. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of, yeah, and that's a real good point. And I've heard a lot of different people on that. But yeah, basically a trespass is saying, okay, I see the line and I willfully step over the line. I trespass the commandment of God. A sin, and a lot of you know this is an archery term that means to miss the mark. So if the bullseye is here and you're just an eighth of an inch off, You've sinned. Even if you've three foot off, you still sin. So, yes, sin is an all-encompassing term that means you missed the mark. But trespass seems to carry a term of, I know what God wants me to do, and I willfully forget that rule and law, and I step over it. I trespass. So, yeah, there seems to be a, um, biblically, when you go to the Old Testament, they seem to be making a little bit of distinction there. So, yeah, Megan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got to look at the context. You're in Hebrews 9, right? Yeah, Hebrews 9.22. Yeah. You have to also remember the context of what it's saying right there in Hebrews 9 is it starts off with this great analogy. Hebrews 9 starts explaining what the Old Testament law did. And so the Old Testament law tried to take away your sin. It tried to, I shouldn't say take away sin, it covered up your sin. And so what Hebrews 9 does is states what the Old Testament law does, Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Well, if you stay in Hebrews and go to chapter 10, verse 4, then it says it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. See, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, I should say, is making this wonderful point. You're purified with blood. Well, Hebrews 9.22, Hebrews 10.4, problem is blood can't totally take away your sin. You're supposed to stop and say, well, wait a second. Now, how is this supposed to work? Then you jump ahead to Hebrews 10.10, by that will which we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do is to say, hey, this Old Testament law you have is not sufficient to take care of your sin problem as your Savior Jesus can. So he's trying to make a point. So that's all it is. It's just a great logical argument. And I encourage you, if you have time, Hebrews 9 and 10 are some of the best chapters in the entire Bible. But those three verses, Hebrews 9.22, blood helps take away sin. Hebrews 10.4, but the blood of animals can't take away your sin, which leads you then to Hebrews 10.10. It's Jesus that takes away your sin. He's trying to make this logical step argument. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Romans 8.1. Yeah, see, what it's trying to say there is 
There's no condemnation. We're not going to be judged in that sense of our sins because Jesus already has taken that penalty for us on the cross. So as a born-again believer, our sins are going to be taken care of through what Jesus did on the cross. So when I die and I stand before Christ, I'm not going to be judged according to my sins because I've already accepted his death on the cross as my Savior. And so therefore, there's no condemnation for me. If I choose to reject Jesus, I'm going to be condemned to hell because I have no Savior of my sins. So there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You and I have accepted Jesus Christ. We will not be condemned because he's already taken care of our sin problem for us. Yes, sin has to be dealt with. Yes, and that's what we ended with with verse 8 is he became their savior. But but see, I got more notes. See right here? See, once I get to my next point, I talk about how Jesus is our savior. So so no one leave yet because then you're going to think sin problem is not taken care of. So I left you at a cliffhanger here. Isaiah 63, 8, he became their savior. Now we have to talk about how Jesus became our savior to take care of our sins. You're just too smart for us. So, um, Anybody else got any other quick questions here before we move on? Okay, so now we've talked about the why would he do that? He loves us. He wants to be our savior. Now, how does he become our savior? I, and I find this little point here fascinating. You guys may not find this fascinating. I find this fascinating. Is you become, Jesus becomes your savior in really kind of one of two ways. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is Romans 2.4. It says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The other one is in Jude 21, where it says some are saved by fear. So what it's basically saying is some of you came to know Jesus as your Savior because you were in a spot in your life where you looked up and you said, Lord, save me. Maybe you were going through a difficult time in life. Maybe you were overwhelmed with your sin. And the the goodness of God and the love of God just came over you and you just thought, there's someone that loves me. There's someone that cares for me. He wants to pull me out of this pit. And the goodness of God led you to repentance. Then there's some of you that said, wait a second, there's a heaven, there's a hell. And the only way to go to heaven is by accepting Jesus. Well, I don't want to go to hell. In fact, I'm scared of going to hell. So I will accept Jesus Christ as my savior because I realize my sins need to be dealt with and I don't want to go to hell. So therefore, out of fear of hell, I will accept Christ as my savior. And once you accepted Christ as your savior, you came to know the goodness of God. But that fear is what brought you to the cross. Now, I just want to do this real quick. because I always find this fascinating. How many of you would say that you were the goodness of God led you to repentance? You were just in a tough part in life and God just led you to repentance. OK, how many of you say it was the fear? My, I was fear. I, I remember distinctly. I heard about hell and I said, whatever I have to do to get out of hell, you just tell me what to do. And that that was me. And I always find it because when I'm talking to somebody, when you're witnessing to someone, you've got to pray and say, OK, spirit, which which group am I talking to? Because if you're talking to somebody who is broken. They need the goodness of God. They don't need to finger point and say, you know what? You're a loser. You're horrible. You're going straight to hell. They already know they're going to hell. They need the goodness of God to lead them to repentance. Now, if you go up to somebody and you say, you know what? God has a wonderful plan for your life. He cares for you so much. And you can take that empty void and replace it with peace. They may sit there and say, empty void. I have no empty void. I'm perfectly happy. I party every night. I have a good job with lots of money. I have great relationships. I don't have an empty void. They're the ones that need to say, you know what? You're a sinner and you're going to hell. See, whoever you're talking to, you have to say, okay, Lord, how does it go? And if you've ever talked to somebody and you try to do the whole empty void thing and they're not empty, it falls on deaf ears. They need to know that there's a hell and that's where they're going. But if you talk to that person that is broken, it's not that they don't need to hear about hell. They need to hear that there's a God that loves them and cares for them very, very much. So as God becomes your savior in verse eight, 
And he leads you in the path of righteousness. Just remember those two verses. Romans 2, 4, the goodness of God leads to repentance. But also in Jude 23, some are saved by fear. I just, just remember those verses in the back of your mind. Now, we're running out of time here. So we have judgment in verses 1 through 6. We have God's mercy in verses 7 through 8. Well, what you have here now from Isaiah 63, 15, all the way through Isaiah 64, you have this great prayer of confession. This is how it's supposed to work, guys. God says there's sin. God says there's mercy, which leads me to the point of confession. That's how it's supposed to happen. But for some people, God says there's sin and God says there's mercy. And they say, I don't care. They're not looking for confession. And you will know what? You probably know some people. You probably know some people where they understand their sin. They understand there's a God and there's a sin and there's a heaven and there's a hell. And they know that if they don't accept Jesus Christ, they heard it all. But they don't want to have confession yet. See, Israel, when presented with their sin and God saying, I'm going to tread the winepress of my wrath. They said, you know what? We're sorry for what we've done. And you have this great confession prayer that goes all the way, once again, from Isaiah 63, 15, all the way through Isaiah 64. We don't have time to do all of it, but I just want to hit some of the highlights here because it really is this just amazing, amazing prayer about just forgiveness and, and their heart being broken. Look, uh, start here on Isaiah 64, verse 5. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. For you are indeed angry. For look at this. For we have sinned. In these ways we continue and we need to be saved. Isaiah 64, 5 is my new favorite verse in the Bible. You are indeed angry. For we have sinned. In these ways we continue and we need to be saved. Isn't that just salvation in the simplest form? God's angry because I've sinned. I continue in my sin. And so therefore I need to be saved. That's salvation right there. It's so simple. Verse 6, but we are all like unclean things, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, and you have consumed us because of our iniquities. That passage right there is mind-blowing. Verse 6, we are all like unclean things, and our all our righteousness are like filthy rags. You've heard us say this out here a lot. On your best day... You're still unholy. That's just sin. Yes, I am saved. Yes, I am born again. But as long as I have flesh on this body, I still am sin. And so when I go out and do something, quote unquote, righteous. Yes, God working through me is doing a good deed. Yes, God through me through the Holy Spirit. There is a righteous act. But I'm still sin. See, the problem is sometimes when we talk to people, they think they're not that bad. I had a person recently I ran into, and the subject of sin came up. And, and I said, you know what, as a sinner, and, and he stopped me. And he said, and you said what? And I said, as a sinner. He goes, you're a sinner? And I said, yeah. And, and I remember him saying, he goes, well, why would I want to go to your church if you're a sinner? And I, and I said, well, you should meet the rest of the people. You know, and I, was, I mean, I'm the best of the worst. But the, the point is, it's amazing how some people have this mindset of, of, I don't know, it's a righteousness. And maybe some of you came out of a past religion, a past denomination, 
that may be ingrained into you that certain works produce righteousness. That certain things you do, certain religious hoops you jump through, equate a righteousness. Well, Isaiah 64, 6 says, all our righteousness are like filthy rags. I can jump through every religious hoop in the world, but the only way I am saved is when I am born again through Jesus Christ. And, and that's what it comes down to. And now when I'm born again, James does things that are good for the glory of God through God and the Holy Spirit. I want to make this clear. I of myself can't do anything to further the kingdom, but the Holy Spirit through me can further the kingdom. My works are like filthy rags, but it's amazing what God does. And that's what we're starting to realize here. And this is what Israel was realizing. We're sin. We, we're going through all these hoops. Verse 6. We're sacrificing animals left and right. We're rebuilding the temple. We're doing all this. And it's like, you know what? It's just filthy rags. Let's finish this up real quick. Verse 8. But now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. And all we are the work of your hands. Do not be furious, O Lord. No, remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look. We all are your people. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, is burned up with fire and our pleasant things are laid waste. Will you restrain yourself because of these, O Lord? Will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely? See, Israel cries out and says, Lord... We're sorry. We're the clay. You're the potter. Do not remember our sin. Lord, forgive us. So God is angry. God says, though, I will still give you mercy. Israel says we confess our sins and we want mercy. That's what he says that they want. And that's what God will give them. And that's what the rest of 65 and 66 is. We don't have time to get the first part of 65, which is okay. It fits in nicely with 66 next week. But the rest of this chapter says, okay, God basically very simply says in 65 is, okay, I'll separate you. As he says, and I think it was at verse 8. Yeah, at verse 8, he basically says there's a cluster of good grapes. So what he's basically saying is I'm getting the grapes here to press in my wine press and of wrath. But he sees this cluster of good grapes and he says, you know what, I'm not going to crush them. And that cluster of good grapes is Israel that has chosen to confess their sin and be made right. But the rest of them will be destroyed. And that's what we're going to get into next week of the second coming and millennial reign, etc. So what we have here tonight, God's judgment. He hates sin. He's fair and just. All sin must be dealt with. But you know what? In judgment, there's always mercy. That mercy is found in verses 7 and 8. He says, I will become their savior. Now, do they willing to accept it or not? They choose to accept it by confession of sin. Verses 15 of 63 through the rest of 64, they confess their sins and say, Lord, we ask you for forgiveness. And God does. So it's a beautiful picture of God's hatred of sin. But God is also loving mercy and kindness. And we'll finish it up next week. So anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? All righty. Well, I'm glad you guys can come out on a very beautiful Wednesday evening. And unless Jesus returns or something really strange happens, we should finish up Isaiah next week. So hopefully we'll do uh, 65 and 66 and put this all together and we'll get into millennial reign, second coming, and how it all ends. And I tell you, it's a good thing. So, let's have a word of prayer and we'll go. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, um, you are fair and just. 
Lord, and that justice also deals with our sin, too. Lord, we come to you and we are sorry. We do confess to you that we dropped the ball. We are sinners, Lord. And, Lord, we pray for your mercy and your kindness. And, Lord, as we go out as forgiven people, Lord, we want to spread that beautiful message of forgiveness. And, Lord, bring people into our lives that need to know your forgiveness, that we may truly be a light and a witness for you and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all we say and do in your name we pray. Amen. You guys have-